Hey, I'm lead pastor Noel Petras, and welcome to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a home in the family of God, or feel called to be a part of a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in the Veterans Memorial Building at 324 North Cahuilla Avenue. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or find us on social media. Thanks for listening. My question to start us off this morning is, is this question, uh, do you believe that God still speaks? You can even like do the silent vote. You don't have to raise your hand. You could just nod your head. You know, do you believe that God still speaks? I, th- I think that the idea that God still speaks is not controversial. But how we, how we walk that out and how we practice that at a church, as a church, is more debated, right? And this morning, we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. And one of the things I want to say about the gift of prophecy is that the gift of prophecy depends on a God who still speaks. Now, um, you may know that some people, there, there's, a, there's a, two camps in, in Christian circles, right? Some, there's, there's one camp of Christians who would say that the, the gifts uh, the, like the prophetic gift, the gifts of the spirit, some of them have ceased. Some of these gifts ceased with the apostolic age and they're no longer for us. That camp is called the cessationist camp. We, we would be a church that falls into what you would call the continuing continuationist camp, meaning that we believe that the gifts of the spirit, the miraculous gifts of the spirit are still for the church today. And the reason that we believe that is because we believe that's what we see in scripture. So I want to start again with that same question. Does God still speak? We as a church, I saw a lot of nodding heads. I don't even think that's controversial. A lot of you nodded your heads about the idea that God still speaks. So that's what we're talking about this morning. What do we do about the idea? What do we do with this truth that God still speaks? And I want to just suggest that the question is probably not that does God still speak? That's probably not the most pertinent question that we could pose this morning. I think perhaps the most pertinent question we could pose this morning is, are we listening? And if we're listening, will we obey? Or in Paul's language, the Apostle Paul, he, he says it like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Maybe he would pose the question by saying, will we quench the Spirit? Or, again, to use Paul's language, this time in 1 Corinthians, will we eagerly desire the voice of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. So it, it, in uh, Paul's letter to the churches in Corinth, um, he, he was speaking to a church who needed some direction. And we've talked about this a little bit the last few weeks, right? The, the churches in Corinth were probably some of the most misguided churches that Paul interacted with. He wrote two really long letters to them. And we think, in fact, that that he actually had more correspondence with them. In fact, they were probably like, it seems like in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's describing like a back and forth that's happening. So we think that he, he had a lot of conversations with these churches and Corinth was a really crazy place. So maybe this isn't surprising or shouldn't be surprising to us that the churches there would have been, um, you know, falling off track, let's say. <clears throat> and it seems like what's happening here in these letters that is that Paul is actually... Um, He's, he's assuming that the gifts of the Spirit are in use. 
So Paul doesn't come into this conversation kind of like I'm going to today and make like a, um, a defense of the gifts. He assumes that the gifts are taking place. He actually enters this conversation rebuking their misuse of the gifts, especially the miraculous gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, will you follow along with me? We're going to read um, this time uh, just chapter 14, and would you stand for the reading of God's words? Let's all stand together here. I think we have two, uh, two slides. We're going to stop at verse 33. If you read on to verse 34, you'll know exactly why I'm stopping at verse 33 today, because, because there's a lot of explaining to do once you get to verse 33, and I just do not have the time today to do that. So, so here we go, starting with verse 26. What then shall we say? Go ahead and read with me. Brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys may be seated. So last weekend, I focused on Paul's teaching about the gift of tongues. Uh, that was actually two weeks ago. You can find that on our podcast and YouTube, whatever. I mean, the gift of tongues is like is kind of like one of the more mysterious gifts that the Spirit of God gives to his church. And, and this week, I'm going to be focusing on what Paul calls the greater gift. He kept on saying in, in that last section that the gift of tongues was great and all, but we should actually be more in pursuit of this greater gift which he calls uh, prophecy. Now, this isn't the first time that I've talked about uh, this gift or that we've studied this gift as a church. In fact, actually, even though we've mostly been studying the book of Matthew, it, three times in the last 12 months, we've talked a little bit on a Sunday morning uh, about the gift of prophecy. So this shouldn't be like, I, this isn't the first teaching on the gift of prophecy. I, I'm, I'm sad to say that I will not say all that there is to say about the gift of prophecy this morning. Um, I was reading so much and enjoying some of these books. I wanted to add another one. I, I think I told you about Sam Storms. He's a really, um, a really profound uh, pastor in Oklahoma, um, and he, he has a great—his church values the Word and the Spirit of God, and, and so I think we can take a lot from him. So those two books, but then also a guy named Wayne Grudem wrote this book. Uh, this is actually written, I think, in the 80s, um, but it's called The Gift of Prophecy. Wayne Grudem is a really renowned um, biblical scholar. So I was doing all this—like, so you can imagine, how do I distill this— into like a 30 minute sermon this morning, you know? So I'm pretty fired up. I've, I've had like six cups of coffee and uh, a, a fizzy vitamin. So I am feeling very energetic this morning. 
Um, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to pare it down and just try to be really simple. And here's what I want to explain today. I want to start by saying, what is the gift of prophecy and coming up with the definition, giving some examples of how this gift could play out in the church. Then I want to talk about what Paul says about why this gift, like what is the purpose? What's the good? What's the benefit of this gift for the church? And then third, I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about how we're going to practice this gift. Because I think that if, if you've ever had a bad experience with the gift of prophecy or with the gift of tongues, it's typically in the practice department. And, and I think this is exactly what Paul was speaking to and why he wrote the Corinthians, the things that he wrote them, because their practice had gotten off track. He wasn't correcting what the gift was or that the gift existed. He was correcting how they practiced it. So I'm going to end by giving us some examples. And then I'm actually going to share with you an example of how this, this gift has uh, come into my life. And I'm going to have a friend of ours here. Lisa's going to come. You could pray for her now. Her heart's probably beating really fast now that I mentioned her name, but she's going to share an example of how this gift um, ministered to her. So um, here we go. You guys ready? So I think I have a slide for this. What is the gift of prophecy? So, you know, most of the time when we talk about prophets in the Bible, we're talking about Old Testament prophets, right? And these are the prophet, these are the people like Moses, Abraham, Isaiah, Jeremiah. These guys are authors of scripture, right? If there was like a New York Times bestselling list of, of uh, Bible authors, it'd be prophets like Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah. You, you know these people, right? These are the guys who spoke in such a way that they could literally say, Thus saith the Lord. So this is one type of prophecy. This is what we see in the Old Testament. Okay. Now, uh, when something gets canonized into Scripture, when some when words are canonized into Scripture, it has high weight. That means it stood the test of time. These are the "Thus saith the Lord" type of prophetic words. But when we get into the New Testament, we see a different gift given to the church. Now, uh, we actually don't call New Testament. Uh, authors, prophets. The office that they carry is actually apostle, like the apostle Paul, for example, right? Um, so that's an interesting fact to know and tell. So in the New Testament, the Old Testament office of prophet, the title or the position of prophet seems to be replaced by the office or title of apostle. Now, let me say this. This is important. We believe that the office of apostle in terms of uh, the author of scripture. Like we do not believe there are currently walking the earth writers of new scripture. Scripture is closed. Does that make sense? We believe that the scriptures are sufficient. They're closed. So when we use this, we've got to understand what, what is an, what's a new Testament apostle? A new Testament apostle was one who wrote scripture. Okay. All right. Very good. So scripture is closed. It's written. Boom. Okay. So <clears throat> So now what happens with this gift of prophecy as we see it in the New Testament is that God brings an infallible revelation to a person. We believe that the, the revelation is infallible. Does anyone, do you guys know what that infallible is? A very fancy word for a football coach, PE teacher to be using on a Sunday morning. It means it's perfect, right? It is divinely inspired. So we believe that all revelation by nature is infallible. Okay. Now, uh, in the Old Testament, again, thus saith the Lord. Those words are infallible, are they not? Thus saith the Lord, God's words. If we could say it with that confidence, that's infallible. Okay. New Testament prophecy. Here's the deal. We believe that God's revelation is still infallible. It's perfect in every way. But are we infallible? 
No. And so therefore, the interpretation and the application of prophecy in the New Testament is not infallible. Does that make sense? So Paul instructs us to test and to weigh any words that come as a word of prophecy. Now, this um, some people get nervous about the idea of the prophetic because it's like, well, you know, we and we actually believe highly in the sufficiency of Scripture. That's one of the things the whole Reformation was was founded upon: the idea that God's word is sufficient, that everything you need for the life of the believer is contained in this book. So, so what's up with the gift of prophecy? What's up with you know new revelation? But let me suggest. Let me suggest something that I think will help this idea make sense. And and here's what I want to suggest. So God's word, infallible. That means perfect. Agreed. You can shake your heads in agreement. God's word is perfect. However, can you think of a a doctrine in scripture that even Christians don't necessarily agree on? You could shake your head to that as well. You're allowed to say that. Right? Like, for example, like, when is Jesus coming back? Or, or like, are you post-trib, pre-trib, amillennial, et cetera, et cetera, right? You get what I'm saying? So, so what I want to, what I want to, um, what I want to just start by saying is that all revelation, revelation can be perfect and still men can differ on how it should be interpreted or how it should be applied. Does that make sense? And the same is true for scriptural revelation as is true for prophetic revelation. The revelation is infallible if it comes from God, but we can screw it up and we may be unsure how to interpret it and how to apply it. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. So I think we got some good tools now to where we can eagerly desire this gift as Paul tells us to, but, but do it in such a way um, that, that is useful and good for the church. Now, I want to go to a working definition of what um, prophecy is, and I have to apologize because... Four weeks ago, I think, or whatever, a week before Christmas Eve, I preached a little bit about the idea of the prophetic and God's presence in worship. And I think I used a different definition for the, the gift of prophecy, but I found a definition I like better. Is it okay if I use that definition? It's simpler and it's it just more concise. So this is what Wayne Grudem says. He says that prophecy is the human report of something God brings to mind. Okay, so I love this definition, and I want to use this definition. So, so here's some examples, some different forms um, for um, things that God could bring to mind. So number one, and this is probably the thing that most people think about when they think of prophecy, and that's just a prediction of a future event, right? And prediction of a future event is one type of prophecy, but it is not the only type of prophecy. Absolutely. In fact, um, J.I. Packer, who's like a really well-known um, biblical scholar who is no longer with us, He says that proclamation is actually a more fundamental application of the gift of prophecy. Um, So it's not just predictive. Proclamation is also important. Sometimes an example of uh, the prophetic would be when God brings to mind a scripture. Have you ever had God bring to mind a scripture, maybe as you're worshiping, as you're praying? This would be something that God has brought to mind. Now, I can tell you, we can all trust if God, if, if scripture pops into your mind, you can trust that this is true because it's, it's already been tested and weighed, right? So that's really cool when God brings scripture to mind. Um, sometimes God will bring memories to mind. This is actually a very biblical idea. One of the, the most repeated commands in scripture is to remember, right? Why do we do this? To remember what God did, right? God is constantly telling the people of Israel, 
Remember, remember, remember. Why? Because we easily forget God's faithfulness. We easily forget the things that God has done. So when God brings something to our memories, when you have a memory come to mind, this is definitely one of the ways that God can speak in the form of revelation. How about a song? Sometimes songs come to mind. I've had friends send me songs and said, this song made me think of you. Or I felt, you know, as I was praying, this song came to mind. I don't know if you can ever relate, but I think God certainly uh, works in the form of songs. In fact, I think it's in Ephesians where uh, he talks about, uh, Paul talks about songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then even in this passage in in, uh, chapter 14, verse 3, Paul says, when you come together, each of you has what? A hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, et cetera, et cetera. So a song might be one way that God would speak to you. If you're the kind of person that feels like God speaks to you through song, I think you're doing it right. And then the the last way that I want to talk about is through visions or like images, maybe even like pictures in your mind. Um, Some might call them like a prophetic picture. I'm actually going to have Elise um, share a little bit later about how God used the prophetic picture in her life. And and sometimes like when we say picture, it sounds like very modern, but the, uh, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament he, he said this, you guys, you might recognize this. He says in uh, Joel chapter two, verse 28, he says, I will pour out my spirit. This would be like God speaking. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. What is a dream? Just a mental picture, a story in your mind, right? And then it goes on to say, your young men will see visions, And I remember at a partner's meeting about a month or two ago, I asked you, do you believe that God could use your imagination? Could he speak to you through your imagination? I think scripture would indicate, yes, he can speak to us. So these are some different examples, right? Of what the gift of prophecy can look like, what revelation can look like. So there we go. That's the crash crash course right there. All of this summed up into five minutes, you know, um, what is the gift of prophecy um, and how do we see it play out in the New Testament? But some of you might say like, hey, Noel, you know, the canon's closed. Isn't scripture sufficient? And, and again, I just want to reiterate, yes, the canon of scripture is closed. You know, we are not like there are other religions that have received revelation after the Bible. And we, we don't receive that revelation. Scripture is closed. So we hold these words at a really high level. The, the authority of scripture is high in this place. And we're going to weigh anything new that would be revealed to us against the truth that we already know in scripture. So we, we do believe in the sufficiency of scripture, which is why we're going to test and we're going to weigh any fresh revelation against this. God will never say something to you that contradicts what's already been written in his word. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> God will never say something to you. He won't say, go kill that man. He won't say, you know, you should divorce your wife. He's already spoken on these matters. All right. Love it. So here's the next question. Why should we eagerly desire the gift of prophecy? Why should we eagerly desire this? So 1 Corinthians 14.3 gives us the answer. It says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So why should we pursue this gift? Who needs strength? Who needs encouragement? Who's ever needed comfort? My hand is raised on all three. Okay. So again, I just want to say the gift of prophecy, it's not just about predicting the future. We can fall into this rut where it's just about, you know, prediction of the future. Okay. But the gift of prophecy is for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now notice, um, and again, I, I, I say that not to dismiss that there is, you know, the possibility that a prophetic gift would predict the future. But Paul teaches us that the main reason for the New Testament gift of prophecy is actually 
the edification of the church, the building up of the church. Again, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort, okay? And this happens not just for the corporate gathered body, but also for the individual believer. All right, so now the most important part. So how will we, how, how do we pursue the prophetic here at Exeter Valley Church? We're a church. Paul's talking to churches about how to steward this gift. And so how are we gonna do this here at Exeter Valley Church? And, and I wanna look to, uh, to what the scriptures tell us because I think Paul is instructing these people in Corinth to do just that, to steward this gift. So I wanna say three things. We, we are gonna pursue the prophetic at Exeter Valley Church with eagerness. We're gonna pursue the prophetic with discernment. And we're gonna pursue the prophetic with others. And here's what I mean. Let's start with eagerness. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, 14, 1, and 14, 39. Three times in this little section that we've been studying, Paul uses the words, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Eagerly desire. And I'll, I'll quote a friend who, who says, I, I checked the Greek on that, and the Greek means to eagerly desire. And now some of us will say something like, well, I'm open to God moving in miraculous ways, or I'm open to hearing the voice of God. But Paul doesn't seem to say that we should just be open. He doesn't even say that we should be cautious. He says that we should eagerly desire. So we need to learn, man, what does it look like for us as a church to be a people who eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit? Being, being cautiously open, evidently it's just not enough. Paul also says it this way as it relates to eagerness. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says, do not quench the spirit. And if you're wondering like, well, what, okay, what does it mean to not quench the spirit? He goes on in verse 20 and he says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. When we quench the spirit, we treat the prophetic gift with contempt. Maybe we make fun of it. Maybe we are overly dismissive of it. Maybe we're scared of it. But in any such case, when we quench the spirit, we treat prophecies with contempt. Now, uh, again, think of the context that Paul was speaking into, right? I would, I would suggest that Paul was actually speaking into a different context. I feel like as an American church, I'm kind of trying to urge you guys who are Bible-believing Christians, I'm trying to urge you to, to pursue the gift of the spirit. Paul didn't have to urge these Corinthians to eagerly desire this, the gifts of the Spirit. He was actually trying to correct their misuse. They were like too carried away with the Spirit. And yet, three times he still tells them to eagerly desire these gifts. You get what I'm saying? He comes into a context where these gifts are already flourishing, and he makes sure to say, eagerly desire these gifts. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, I think is what Paul is trying to say. And he says, especially the gift of prophecy. So this should get our attention. Paul is like eagerly desire these gifts. He talks about tongues. And, you know, it's like Paul would totally agree that tongues is wacky, right? People speaking in unknown languages, it's just, it does, it's very mysterious. But Paul would say, look, the gift of prophecy is it. This is what you really want to aim yourselves at. So look, here's the thing. There, there's a tension there's a tension that exists, though, and Paul acknowledges this tension. Here's the tension. The tension is present in the pursuit of the gift of prophecy um, and discernment. So eagerly desire and then discern. And Paul has a lot to say about discerning as well. So let's take a look at the second 
uh, reason or the second thing, the second item, and the how will we pursue the prophetic at Extra Valley Church with discernment. First Thessalonians chapter five, I already read 19 and 20, but he goes on to say in 21, this is what you do with prophecy. He says, but test them all. Every prophetic word, evidently, the words that we're eagerly desiring. So we are eagerly desiring fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit. God, speak new things to me. God, speak to my heart. Give me visions. Give me dreams. Give me songs. Give me memories. Scripture, speak to me, Lord, so that I might be strengthened, encouraged, comforted. And then Paul says, but when you get those things that I'm telling you to eagerly desire, what do you need to do? Test them. Weigh them. Against what? Against what God's already said, right? So we, we're going to eagerly desire these things. We're going to be super eager. But then we're also going to be really discerning. We're going to test and we're going to weigh the things, the revelation that we get from God. In 1 John, the, the apostle John says it this way, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit. Wait, I thought we were supposed to eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. So you see this tension that exists between eagerly desiring and then weighing, testing, not believing every spirit. He goes on to say, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So shake your, I mean, does that make you feel a little bit more comfortable? Like, you know, cause you're like, no, I've, I've just seen things get crazy when people say that, you know, this is from God. I heard God say this. And then maybe you've even had family members or friends do crazy things that were out of whack. You start thinking of guys like David Koresh or all kinds of wackos that have led really weird movements over time by misusing the voice of the Lord. So this is what we got to do. Okay. He goes on in verse 22 to say, or I'm sorry, 21, the second part of 21, not only do we test, but we hold on to what is good and we reject what is evil. That sounds very Bruce Lee to me. Didn't Bruce Lee say something like that? Evidently. I don't know if Bruce Lee quoted the apostle John, but anyways, I've heard that Bruce Lee said that. Anyways, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. This is first John. Now, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So we test and we weigh, eagerly desire, discern. First two components of how we're going to do this gift here at, uh, at, at Exeter Valley Church. Now, the third part is this, you guys. And I think that this is actually really critical because if we don't do the third part, we're relying a lot on our own wisdom and our own ability to hear from the Lord. But, but what's the church for if we could do it all on our own? If you could hear God perfectly and discern perfectly on your own, why would God give us his church? because you can't do it on your own. <laughs> you need people. Like, and I'm, I don't like to admit this, but like, I need my wife's perspective in order to see correctly. Okay. Oh, wait, she's here. Don't tell her I said that, kids. You know what I'm saying. We need each other. Otherwise, we'll get off track if we're going on our own. So we need others. This is the third part. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So you don't just get to decide for yourself if God has spoken to you. You weigh it, not you weigh it against scripture, yes, with others. And in this church, we're not just going to let one person individually say, I've heard from the Lord without weighing it somehow as a body with leadership together in community. Does that make sense? So this is how we steward the gift. This is a great gift. Paul's like eagerly desire this gift. But the Corinthian churches had got it all wrong and they were misusing the gift. And Paul's like, you guys need to use some more discernment. And I would urge us to do the same. Okay, Elise, would you mind coming up? 
you can make your way right here, Elise. And then, so I'm going to start by sharing. Um, so we're going to share two stories. This is story time. You guys good? Story time. All right. So I, I, we're not doing this to draw attention to ourselves. Okay. I'm just trying to put some like real life example and some different ways that I've seen God work prophetically. Is that, are we cool with that? So um, some of you know our story in planting this church and some of you do not. Um, so I asked some friends, have I told this story too often? I don't want to always be talking about myself. And they told me, no, you haven't told it enough times yet. So uh, some of you know, in 2012, I was coaching high school football, loved coaching high school football. I wanted to have a stadium named after me someday. I loved coaching football. I felt like that was the ministry God had given me. One day at a leader's retreat, Pastor Travis Aiklin, who will be here next week actually to teach and lead us in worship, um, Pastor of Church of Visalia, he tells me, Noel, I think someday God's going to call you out of coaching on the field and into coaching in the church. So I have to decide, okay, whew, is that from God? Or did Trav just eat like funky camp food, you know, which is possible. We were at Heartland camp. Uh, nothing against Heartland's food, but camp food, you know, can get wonky. Anyways, I, man, so that led to a process of first, what I do first, talk to Megan. And it seemed like there was some life on it. Megan seemed like there was life in that, those words, right? So then it's like, okay, what does God have to say about this? Prayer, reading the scriptures. Again, test, way, test, way. Ask others, right? And years later, I'm still like carrying this word in my heart. I've started to kind of act in what I thought was obedience. We had moved to Exeter, but it wasn't happening. <laughs> it wasn't happening and I wasn't sure if it was going to happen. So I got really discouraged. And I remember telling Megan, I'm discouraged. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And I really miss like kind of coaching. I had kind of started to take a back, I had, coaching had taken a back seat for me at that time. And she was like tired of me doing this roller coaster. And she very sternly told me, Noel, I know what God said, but unless you're convinced of it, it doesn't matter what I think. So I want you to, what were your words? Give the Lord no rest until you've heard from him. What she said was, I want you to eagerly desire a fresh revelation of God and speak over your life, right? This is what you said in different words. You said, give him no rest. So to me, that meant pray a lot. And so for the next six weeks, I prayed day in and I prayed this prayer a lot. One night driving home from a men's group, I was super discouraged, not feeling great. And ask the Lord, God, I don't even know how to pray. I know I'm supposed to pray, but I don't know how to pray. And uh, I, I grew up, you guys have heard me say this a million times. I know you've heard me say this. I grew up in a very stoic church. I had never really had a charismatic, a charismatic experience. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't really know what prophecy was at this, at this point. I was learning. You get what I'm saying. Anyways, I, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, I don't know how to pray. How should I pray? And I, I heard him say three things in my head. The first thing he said was, upon this rock, I will build my church. When he said it, I knew that's the words that he gave to Peter. And of course, the, the church isn't built on any man. It's built on the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. And I knew that that was God's way of saying, I want to use you to build my church. I was decked out like my friend Stevie Lentz in extra football gear from head to toe. I had on Nike Royal Blue. I even had matching Royal Blue Nike shoes on. I, I was like, what about this, God? That was a, I, I was like, God, what about this? And he said, step out of your clothes. I remembered back to what Travis had said, leave coaching on the field to begin coaching in the church. You've got to step out of one in order to step into 
the other. It clicked with me. I knew God was speaking at this point. And so then I did what most of us do when God asks us to do something that's really hard that you don't necessarily want to do. You give him all the reasons why you can't do it. All the reasons why he's got the wrong guy. If you think I'm crazy, Moses did the same thing. I stutter. I don't do this. I don't do that. Right. And I had my own reasons and I gave them all to God in about, you know, three seconds. I gave them all to him. And he said, no, don't worry. You can trust me. And then he said, he spoke in slang, which I still think is the silliest part of the story. He said, don't worry. I've got this. And then before I could think another thought, he said, tell your wife. And then that's why you're sitting here <laughs> in our church today. Now, I've got more to say about that. I could talk a lot more about it. But before I do, I want to bring up Elise. Elise, would you come up? Yay. This is Elise Tamayo. Her, her husband, Jose, is right there. Hers, yeah, we love her family. Um, I'm going to give you this mic, Elise. So I'm going to start the story, and then Elise is going to finish it. So about uh, at our last partners meeting in November, we ended the meeting with the time of prayer. Some of you were there. You may remember. And uh, remember that Pastor Travis was supposed to come back and lead us in this exercise, this prayer exercise. But, and this is totally Trav, his van broke down. Why? Because he drives like a 1965 van, you know? And uh, so it broke down on the way back to Exeter. He could not get there, but I knew what he was going to do. So I just, I was like, I'm going to lead us in it. So here we go. Um, so I did it not as good as Trav would have done it, certainly, but I led us into this idea of praying and asking the Lord to, to give us vision, to like, to put images or pictures in our head that he wanted to communicate with us. So we started with what? Eagerly desiring fresh revelation. You see what I'm saying? My story. What did I start with? Give the Lord no rest. Eagerly desire to hear his voice. So this is the prompt. We're going to take some time. We're going to eagerly desire for God to speak to us. And we ask specifically for pictures because we know God's creative and he likes to use imagination. So I was sitting at Elisa's table and I saw a picture of a sprout, like a little bean sprout, like the ones you do in kindergarten where you got the little styrofoam cup kind of deal, a little sprout popping up out of the soil. And I felt like the Lord said, life, that was the word, new life or life. And then I told Elise that I felt like I, I submitted that to her. I said, I don't know. Cause remember interpretation, application, this is where the fallible part goes wrong, right? All I was really confident in is that I saw a, a picture in my mind of a sprout and, and the words new life, right? So I humbly submitted that to her. I didn't say, and this is what it means. Cause that's where there might be some fallibility, right? And then Elisa, Elise, go ahead and take over. What What did you see? Um, at that point, I said, I because I had suffered a miscarriage back in October. And I was <laughs> it was it was um really something that you were experiencing at first, but I kind of feel like 
you guys all know nothing of what I did. The time came around again for us to start treatment again. I did not dismiss it. I think it was best if we just wait. Yeah. So I felt like that was just kind of. So did you, in that moment, did you feel strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? Right? <laughs> Tears. God sees me. He knows what's going on. Also, women, other women, and there was three other women who had experienced miscarriage in the last 12 months. Those women came around her, started praying for her. The church was edified that, that day. You see what I'm saying? So I also remember that you were like, I'm seeing a picture of a garden with a gate open, right? So here's what I also want to say. Not all of us saw pictures at that table. <laughs> Not all of us did. But I, I said to Elise that day, I think you're very gifted in the, in the ability to see visually, to have visions. And, and that's, what the, that's what the gift of prophecy is. It's a gift, right? And we're celebrating the, that day that God used it. He gave you the gift, the ability to see in this way. I mean, you picked, have you ever done anything like that before? Never had done anything like that before. So it's not like she's a pro, right? So God gave her this gift. It strengthened her. It encouraged her and it brought her comfort. The comfort brought me everything. And um, yeah, like I said, I just never experienced anything like that in my life. And I really felt like God needed to see that at that point in my life. You're going to make us all cry. <laughs> yeah. So thanks so much, Elise. Give her a round of applause. Thanks for being brave enough to share. You can go ahead and have a seat. Now, I just want to say it, it doesn't always work out perfectly like that, right? It, it, the end of the story could have been that she was just strengthened, encouraged, and comforted in that moment, right? Now, thankfully, there was also like a predictive element, I believe, in that prophetic word for her because a new life was coming. I did not hammer hard on the prophet. I never said to her, I think you're going to get pregnant again. And she didn't even say that. What she saw, what she, what she received was God's voice saying, I see you. I know you. I want you to know that you're not alone, right? And I think others were encouraged in that moment as well as they heard her vulnerability. People remarked about that. Like, thank you for being vulnerable. I've experienced this too. Okay, so, so did we eagerly desire in those two situations? Yes, there was an eager desire that was made. We, we came to the Lord and we said, Lord, we need to hear from you. Was there discernment? Well, in either of those scenarios, is God for churches? Is he for leaders in churches? Yet, like nothing disagreed with scripture in either scenario. Is God for her encouragement? Is God for new life? Yes, that's why there's a million new life churches all over the place because God is for new life. So nothing competed against what's already been said in scripture, right? And then did we do this alone? She did it in the presence of others, right? And my story goes on. The very next day I was at our elders at Radiant Church and I was like, this is what I heard the Lord say. What do you guys think? And it took, it was 2018. This church was started in 2021. So there was a process there that involved others. And some of you are among the others that were involved. Okay, so again, eagerly desire, discern, and then involve others. Hey, hey, it's Pastor Noel again. Just wanted to say thanks so much for joining us here at the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. And don't be afraid to join us in person on a Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. at the Exeter Memorial Building.